Hello and welcome everyone to another InventRight live stream. My name is Andrew Krauss. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. We have been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 23 years. We've had students in over 65 countries. What do we teach you how to do? We teach you how to license your products to large companies. What the heck is licensing? It's receiving royalties for every unit that big company sells. So every three months, usually it's almost always quarterly, every three months you get paid a royalty on your invention. And so the beauty of that is you tap into these very large companies. And I always joke when you're licensing, you can have delusions of grandeur and you're not delusional because that big company can do huge volume. That's normal for them. It's not normal for you. You can't start a business overnight and have 200 employees or 50 employees or whatever doing this or that. But when you license to them, you just plug in and it's their money. It's their workforce and it's their distribution. They're already in all the stores where you want to be. So that's a beautiful thing. And that's what licensing is. Sometimes people say, what's the difference between licensing and patenting? And I'm like, they're not related at all. So some people think, well, oh, if in order to license a product, I need, I can only do it if I have a patent. That's not true at all. You can make the licensing agreement or the grant of license dependent on a patent, or it could just be dependent on the product. So we get students all the time license stuff. Somebody's like, we don't care about patents. They're like, yeah, we'll pay you. That's your idea. And others, they're like, no, nah, patents are important to us. And you know, if you got a provisional, maybe you upgraded to a full utility. Some of you out there go ahead, go ahead and file patents, but. Why do you really need to do that when you can use that entire year? The patent office gives you with the provisional patent to see if there's interest. Why would you want to do that if you can utilize that year? So if somebody could type in um, yes, if you guys can hear me, that would be great. Um, last week, we had uh, YouTube have some technical glitches. It wasn't me. The chat just died and it wasn't letting anybody new into the live stream. So instead of the normal like, 70 to 90 people live we had like 14 it was just stuck there and then i couldn't get any more questions so i'm like there's i don't know what else i can do here so i click refresh that didn't work um so hopefully thank you guys for letting me know you can hear me hopefully that doesn't happen again i, I highly doubt it will never had that happen before one person was kind of joking andrew you shouldn't have clicked refresh i'm like there was nothing else i could do i'm like Let's try that and see if it worked. It didn't work, but I see people are already starting to stream in here. So it doesn't look like we're having that problem this time. Um, yeah, you guys are welcome for, you know, some of you guys, I guess, I guess uh, I, we probably won't have as many people today because it's like, what, seven o'clock right now, Eastern. If you got kids, maybe you're taking them out. So it really means a lot to me that you guys would, would listen to me and um, get your questions answered on Halloween. So we'll probably have a smaller crowd today. Um, and if we don't have enough questions, we, we usually we can never get to all the questions. If we don't have enough questions, then we'll just call it a day early if everybody's doing Halloween. But where I am, it's only 4 o'clock, and my daughter's 10, and she's not going to be going out for a while. I think I talk about my daughter a lot on this show. She's amazing. This is when she was smaller. Smaller. That's a ridiculous way to put it. But when she was younger, she's 10 now. But she's such a cutie. See that I keep this on my desk. She's so beautiful. I don't know how old she was there. She was, God, she was really young there. She's like maybe six or something. I'm not sure. But um, I only got one, so I got to brag about her all the time. Uh, all right, so let's jump in here, guys. Uh, BT, which is a cool uh, name. Uh, hey, Andrew, thanks a lot. Some companies say only send us non-confidential materials, not specifications and drawings. Others ask to send them. Is there any problem disclosing your PPA, your provisional patent after filing? So BT, I can say that if you're getting into those conversations, our students aren't really getting that very often. I'm not saying they never get that. Don't send anything confidential. A few companies will tell you to do that. You're probably not approaching things right. If you approach licensing that it's all about the patent and the intellectual property, you're doing it completely and utterly wrong. You shouldn't even be talking about the patent or any of that. Not that there's anything wrong with talking about it, but you're you're trying to sell the benefit of your product. So when you have a sell sheet, it's a PDF, eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. I don't have an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper on my desk, but um, and it's a PDF and you're going to email that. And, and the tiny little letters at the bottom, it's going to it doesn't have to be too tiny, but it's going to say patent pending. You're not going to put patent pending right across the top. Sometimes inventors are so patent pending, like 
don't do that. It just makes you look like you're a paranoid inventor. But you're putting them on notice that you have intellectual property. That's all you need to do in the way of the patent stuff when you're trying to license. So if companies are specifying to you, don't send send us only non-confidential materials. I'm kind of wondering, I mean, you know, what they're saying is, I don't know what you're sending me. You don't know what we've done. We can't agree to keep it confidential. So don't send us anything you consider confidential. Now, you filed your provisional patent application and you know, you, the company, you're not going to send it to the company and they'll be like, well, this is interesting. I'm going to post it on the internet. They're not going to do that. Now, if you didn't file a provisional patent, that could get you into trouble, you know, but why would they do that? I've never had a student in 23 years where the company did something inappropriate and publicly disclosed it on the internet or something like that. I've never seen that. So I'm saying, you know, if they're saying that in what they're writing on their website, like let's say it's on a submission page or an email they send you, that's not unusual. That's okay. You know, only send non well, send them your sell sheet. You know, if you filed your provisional patent application or many of you that aren't, haven't found us sooner, you went out and spent a bunch of money on a patent, no big deal. You know, what are you worried about? You know, you've got that place in time, you know? So, um, you just want them to see your marketing materials and get interest in the product. Now, the other part of your question is, is there any problem disclosing your PPA after filing? There isn't a problem with that, but it's it's like when. So I'll give you a, a interesting statistic that are, I think I've shared with you this, you guys that our negotiation coach shared this with me a little while back. So Paul Sorensen, he's our negotiation coach. When our students get interest, we put them all with Paul. And Paul will guide you through to, to close the deal. You know, he'll guide you through. Let's talk a little bit about that process. Then I'll get to the question. So there's a lot of back and forth before you get to a contract. If you guys think you're going to get interest and you're going to have a contract like in a couple of days, that's not the way it works at all, guys. They might want to get some quotes overseas. Can we make this? Can we make it a reasonable price? You could have multiple phone calls and multiple, many, many emails and back and forth. And on the average, it's going to take one to three months because these are large companies. All right. You don't want them to move that fast. That's a red flag. Whenever I see a company wanting to move too fast, it's not always a red flag, but it's usually a red flag. Somebody's like, Oh, I, I signed a licensing deal in three days. I'm like, mm, something sounds fishy here. These aren't our students. And I've talked to non-invent rights students and I've looked into it. And lo and behold, there was something fishy about it. Um, so it, good licensing deals take time. So there's this whole back and forth via email and uh, via the phone or via Zoom. And then you get to the contract, right? So getting back to showing them your PPA, it's not that... You don't want to show them your PPA because they're going to steal your idea. You know, you don't want to show them your PPA because it's the wrong order of things. It's the wrong um, way to move a deal forward, to get deep into the intellectual property right there at the beginning. Some, very few, some companies will insist on it. But here's the interesting stat. And I'm going to go back around to where I start here. Our negotiation coach, Paul, says, and they don't, they don't do this often, but when they do, when a potential licensee, a manufacturer, a company you're trying to license to gets back, sometimes they say this, not often, but sometimes, send me your patent, send me your prototype. Now, Paul made the observation that when they say that, literally only half the time that they say that, that when you, when we tell our students, get on the phone with them, just say, no, let's change the topic. I'd like to get on the phone with you. I'm sure you got some questions for me. I got some questions for you. They get on the phone. 50% of those companies, which most companies don't do this, but 50% that do say, send me your patent prototype. Don't ask you for either when you get on the phone with them because they didn't know how to start the conversation. So here's the grand misperception that people have. Massive, massive misperception that you need to do just whatever they tell you to do. Well, they need that, so I'll get it to them. All right. So, but they don't do licensing deals every day. I mean, maybe the company's done 12 licensing deals, but the marketing manager that likes your product has never done a licensing deal. So don't assume they've got this like super formal process to walk you through. They'll ask you for stupid stuff that doesn't move the deal forward. That's not really relevant. You might half an when we guide our students, you might half answer it, take them this direction. So what we tell our students is don't freak out about this, but you're more responsible for this deal getting done than they are. 
and for guiding it. If you just sit around, and this is for people that are our students and aren't our students. If you just accommodate whatever they ask you for and figure they're going to guide you, 90% of the deals will not get closed. And that'll be your fault. So you need to be just as responsible for moving it forward as they do. They do, you know. So um, getting back to your question about disclosing your PPA, why would you get in the weeds with patents like early on? Let's do you like the product? Would you take it on? Where would you place it? You know, and sometimes the marketing manager, they just don't know what they're doing and they think that's a smart question to ask. And it's a stupid question to ask because it's not really relevant. You know, it's relevant later. But let's talk about the product for sure. I'd be happy to show you my intellectual property at the right point in time. But I want to know, like, what are your thoughts about the product? You know, do you have any concerns about it? What would you do with it if you took it on? And then we can get more into the intellectual property and use that term intellectual property. Intellectual property is just a fancy way of saying patents, copyrights, trademarks, it's all that right? Even trade secrets type of intellectual property. But when you use words like intellectual property, it makes you sound smart, right? But we're talking about patents 99% of the time. So saying, I'd be happy to get into the intellectual property, but I'd like to talk to you first about the product, what you might do with it, et cetera, et cetera. So hopefully that was helpful. Uh, Roaming Tortoise, who is a, a regular, I'm trying to come up with ideas in the same category. So I can be a one category inventor. Okay, there are advantages to that, definitely. Would you consider pet apparel and pet treats in the same category? Hmm, yeah, not at all. Um, I was at, so let's talk about your general question first. Um, if you stay in a category, so let's say um, Roaming Tortoise is in, I think Marcus is their name. I'm going by memory here because sometimes he types Marcus, that's his real name. Um, if you stay in a category, let's say uh, pet apparel, okay, that's a niche, and you're, let's say pet toys, it's a broader broader category, and you work on a pet toy. We got plenty of pet toys here that our students have worked on. This is a funny little gag gift one. There's some more serious ones, but it's like a cranky, it's like toilet paper because dogs always get to the toilet paper, but it's like a crinkle toy, you know, and a squeaky toy, you know. Um, we got some much other, this one Aaron did, this one's really cool. Um, it's a, you put dog treats in here, the treats can come out of here. It can come out of here. You can, you, dog kind of rolls it around and it's got to get the treat to come out there. So, so let's, let's say you were Aaron, our student that licensed this and uh, you reached out to 30 pet toy companies for this. Pet toy is so specific, I would think they're probably 25 at least, if not maybe all 30. But you might get to know some of these companies, know their product line. For your next pet toy, you'd reach out to probably 25 of those 30. Now, for other products, if you're in a category, let's say you're in something for kitchen, okay? And you, you do a kitchen product, and you reach out to 30 companies, and you're working on your second product. And you're like, you look at it, and this is what you should do. And you go, well, 15 of the companies for that other old product would be right for this new one. Because if you start sending products to companies that you, if any person with any reason would look at their line and go, that doesn't fit their product line. Sometimes you stretch it a little bit, but that clearly doesn't fit their product line. You're looking like an amateur. So just because it says pet toy or it's kitchen, well, well, kitchen, what is it? Small appliance? Is it kitchen cutting boards? Is it knives? Like you got to look at their product line, right? But the, it's a massive, massive benefit to stay in a category and just keep inventing more products as you build up these relationships. And then you just got to make a new sell sheet, crank out a PPA, and then send it to these companies you've made a relationship with. And I've said this a million times before, you know, when you, when you get a company saying no to you for a particular product, you didn't get rejected, you made a relationship. And now you've got their name, you've got their email, maybe you've got their phone, you've got their LinkedIn, you just send them another product. You know, so you didn't get rejected. Let's get back to Roman Tortoise's or Mar Marcus's question. My memory is not that good, but I believe his name's Marcus. Um, would you consider pet apparel and pet treats in the same category? Absolutely not. So I was at Super Zoo recently, which is the big pet trade show in Vegas, which is booming, by the way. I've never seen it so busy. That was a real trip after seeing everything be so dead after COVID. Like the new hardware show in Vegas is like one quarter the size of what it was. It's like 
it's like a shadow of its former self, if that makes any sense. A shadow, you think it'd be the same size, so I don't think that makes sense. But anyway, um, it's it's a, it's minuscule compared to what it was. That that show kind of just has, hasn't dried up. It's still there. It's still a good show, actually. But the pet trade show got bigger. People got pets during COVID. That industry is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger year after year. And people love their pets and they'll buy everything for their pets. So when I was at that show, it was kind of shocking. Literally half the vendors are food. And, you know, I'm more, we're more product-based and stuff. I don't think I've ever had a student, maybe we've had one or two, that had a new pet food. I've, I've seen dog toys, training devices, clothing for dogs, um, all sorts of, you know, b dog bowls, feeding devices, all sorts of stuff for dogs. But um, I don't think I've ever had an inventor that had food. But there's tons of other stuff. So the food people are not the people doing dog toys or apparel at all. It's a completely different set of people. So even though it's in the same industry, and yeah, if you go to the same trade show, you could utilize, but you're not going to be sending pet treat companies dog toy stuff or dog clothes or something like that, right? Um, so to answer your question specifically, Marcus, um, no, that's not in the same category at all. Now, I just observed that from going to um, um, Super Zoo so many years in a row. I think I've been there like five times now or so. Um, Wade said, happy Halloween, Andrew. Thank you, Wade. Thank you, everybody, for happy Halloween, everybody. Um, so let's see what's next here. Waleed. Hi, Andrew. If I got a piece of music from the internet, it may be copyrighted, protected, and use it in my video. Can I add a disclaimer in my video and freely use it? Um, well, there's two different things there. Maybe it's not two different things. But um, if you use copyrighted music on YouTube, even if it's unlisted, I don't know if they're paying attention because when you when you list your video for a potential licensee, you don't make it public. You make it unlisted so only people with the link can see it. But I'm assuming YouTube is scanning those just like they do all the videos and it'll get removed. It'll get deleted. It'll get banned. So you have to be very careful about that. All YouTube content creators. Um, that's why you see when you see people doing YouTube shows, somebody's like, I heard that same music on another show because the, there's places you can go to get kind of generic music for YouTube shows and stuff that's that's copyright free or has a certain public um, uh, public domain where you can use it under certain terms as long as you're not profiting from or this or that or what have you. But no, you could you could um, definitely get in trouble for that, Waleed. Um, so, yeah. You know, it's not under the same thing under fair use. So, you know, sometimes if you don't publicly disclose, like I'll give you an example. I, this, I've only seen this happen once, but we had this student. I think I mentioned this before in these live streams, but I'm not sure. And he had a football product and he was only with us like maybe about 10 days, like two weeks. And he called me in a panic. Really nice guy. He's like, oh, my God, the NFL called me. They're threatening to sue me. I forget if they emailed or called, and they're threatening to sue me. I'm like, well, what, what's going on, man? What happened? He's like, well, they say I have NFL logos on my website, and that's a violation of their trademark. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. What the hell are you doing? Why are you putting NFL logos publicly on your website? I was like, take them down. Take them down, like, right away, like, this second. He took them down. They never got back to him. So, you know, they just scared him, which they should have, because that that's their brand, right? But if you look up fair use on Wikipedia or generally look it up, if you're using something privately, now that was a public website, everybody could see, and maybe he wasn't representing their brand in a way that they were okay with it. He was putting it on their his product. I have no idea what he was thinking there. I think you guys have more, most of you have more sense than that. Um, I, I, he was a good guy though, so I shouldn't give him a hard time. But if you, if you have a sell sheet and you're going to email it to a company, you can actually use like Disney on there. You could use different things and you have a disclaimer at the bottom. And it says all, all products, uh, any intellectual property, patents, copyrights, or trademarks are, are the owners, their respective owners have full rights to this. This is for illustrative purposes only. So maybe you want to show a potential licensee that they can put um, a Disney thing on there, that they could put NFL on there, that they could put the, 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 
NHL on there or the NBA or whatever it is. And you're just showing it for illustrative purposes. You're not dirtying their reputation. You're making that clear at the bottom of the sell sheet. You're not dirtying their reputation. You're privately emailing it to one marketing manager at a company. Okay. And that's called fair use. Um, not saying that somebody may not get upset about it, but you're actually going to be legally in the right. And if somebody complains, I would immediately say, I'm sorry. I, I feel like that's covered under fair use, but I, I won't do that anymore. Okay. So, um, so that's just kind of a side note to you wanting to use um, music on a video. No, I think you need to be careful about that, you know, um, definitely. Uh, and then he said, or the same for a picture in a cell sheet. So see, now that's a little different. So if you have a video, you're probably uploading it to YouTube as unlisted and you're sharing it. So now YouTube's scanning that, right? And 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 that is not fair use. I know that's weird. But when you're using their music in there, that's not the same deal. I guess you could make an argument maybe, but I'm not giving you guys legal advice. But if you put a picture in a sell sheet and you put them on notice that all the pictures and intellectual property, patents, copyrights, and trademarks are all the rights of their respective owners, and this is for illustrative purposes only, and you're making that crystal clear, um, could you include some sort of picture in a sell sheet? Yes, maybe, and it might be appropriate. But Waleed, I don't know what picture you want to include, so um, I can't say for sure. But hopefully, so that I've educated you guys a little bit on fair use. But again, public disclosure? No, 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 no. Not the guy with the website where he had his product up there and had NFL logos on it. Never, ever do that. And if you ever do it privately, and this is not legal advice, anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice, you know, always have an attorney take a look at it. That's my little disclaimer, so I don't get myself into trouble here because I'm not an attorney. But understand fair use and look it up. And people are like, oh, I can do that? And what I'm saying you can do exactly. I'm not making completely clear, but I'm giving you an idea, and you can further look it up and research it, okay? Uh, let's see. Must, uh, uh, hi, Andrew, during making the list of potential licensees, I already know that we should make a long list. In a video, you say check all categories instead of subcategories and your perfect fit companies. Okay. Is there a real life example if you have an Apple idea and a carrot company or an Ananas, I don't know what that is. License an Apple product. Hmm. Okay, I don't really understand the question. Um, yeah, you know, how you make your list of companies is going to vary depending on the product. Most, uh, I'm not completely clear. Um, you're saying in a video, you say check all categories instead of subcategories and your perfect fit companies. So, yeah. I don't really know, but I can talk a little bit about it. I mean, um, first off, what's a great litmus test to know if a company is a viable potential licensee? If they're in Walmart or a Target or a Home Depot or a Walgreens or Rite Aid, or you see them on Amazon and you see they have 3,000 reviews, well, geez, if they have any reviews, imagine how many products they're selling. You know they're qualified, right? You know they're selling a product generally in the category of your product. And you know they have incredible distribution. What more do you need to know? Now, where people mess up is making it too narrow or making it too broad. Like if somebody has um, something very specific, like it's a bird feeder that is feeding with liquid, okay? Because there's bird seed and i'm just making up this randomly guys you guys can tell there's bird seed and then there's liquid bird feeders right for like hummingbirds and stuff so if you're like well i'm only going to reach out to companies making liquid bird feeders and yours is a liquid bird feeder well what about all those companies that were making seed bird feeders and they're like ah, you know the the liquid ones are kind of generic we're not there you should reach out to them too because you got this new innovation maybe they weren't in liquid bird feeding but now they see yours and they want to get into it because they're in that general space. So I think you can make it too narrow. Only I'm going to only reach out to companies. They're selling more or less pretty much exactly what I'm doing. And I see that quite frequently. And then I see people go in the other direction. My business partner is on a YouTube show. Hey, this company's open to ideas. It's like, 
And, and he even specifically says, well, they're selling bicycle products. So guys only send them bicycle products. And you see somebody sending a kitchen product because, well, but I heard Steven said, that's my business partner, other invent my business partner. Well, they're open to receiving products. Well, they don't want your kitchen product. They make freaking bicycle products. Those are, so those are some extremes that I see people engaging in. So don't do that. Um, and when I talk to an inventor and I look at their product and I show them and I go, well, you could expand it here or there because I've been doing this for a long time. The inventor's like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm getting that now. But they weren't getting it before. So it's, it's not uncommon to get a little confused there. Now, we do have a new service called All Access where we'll actually make a list of companies for you. It's like $599. And it's working out really great. It's brand new. We haven't like publicly like talked about it or tried to promote it because we're just getting up and running with it, but it is on our website. So if you go to a services and then all services, you'll see the all access page. And so if you guys are struggling with that, you can use that service, but we are always about empowering people to do it themselves. That's what we do with our, when our coaches help our students. Um, the coach will guide the student like I was kind of talking about and get into the weeds with the student. It's like, oh, you learn by doing, it's called experiential learning. But if you're like, I don't want to deal with that, then you, you could do our, all access service where we make the list for you. Um, hmm, I love this. Uh, Hill Dog said, hey, Andrew, thanks for doing this on Halloween. I reached my 100 invites on LinkedIn this week. Do you have favorite alternatives? So I had another student that we were just talking just to, it was like Thursday or so. And so, you know, you can only do 100 invites a week on LinkedIn, which is enough. He had... 60 companies and he had four companies for each one. If I'm doing the math right, I think that's 240 people to reach out to on LinkedIn. And he's like, I hit my 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 hundred. And he was kind of proud of it. He's like, but I only have to wait two days and then I get my new 100. So what we're talking about there, guys, what Hill's talking about is um, if you're reaching out to try to connect with people on LinkedIn, you can only do 100 outreaches a week and then once the week rolls around i think it tells you when your new date is if you overreach you know let's say you get a new allotment of another hundred this is for the free uh linkedin which is the only one that our students use um so uh you know no big deal good on you you know i mean that's really not a problem so uh, but what what hill's saying is do you have favorite alternatives so one of the things that we're doing for um, under that all access program, where we make a list for um, people that purchase it with the all access program is we'll also giving email addresses. So we research and we find email addresses for all those same people too. So if you really wanna hit it right guys, you're reaching out on LinkedIn, you're reaching out via email and you're reaching out on the phone. Now, if at the beginning you just wanna do LinkedIn and email and then any lingering ones you couldn't get a hold of, then do phone because you're a little timid on the phone. That's perfectly fine. But if you want to be faster, you're going to do all three. If you want it to be, people say, oh, I want to do this really fast. I'm like, okay, this is what you do. You got to put your money where your mouth is there and you got to do it. But but that's what you can do. And I encourage people to do that if they want to get traction faster, you know, rather than just sitting and looking at your LinkedIn screen, waiting for people to get back to you. Some of which they only go on LinkedIn every two, three months and other people on every day, you know, so it's important to have other methods. So He'll say reaching out via email, which you're probably already aware of. Um, we have some people they'll reach out on Facebook to like the manager on Facebook or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know if that's productive. I, I had one of our coaches, Scott, he's like, he completed his list of companies for a product he was working on. Um, but he had this one company, he reached out to him every which way he could. Now you phone, email, LinkedIn, just crickets. He's like, oh, but I love this company. So he reached out on Facebook and he figured that Facebook manager there that takes care of the public would get back to him. And they did. They took a couple days, but they got back to him in two days. Nobody else ever got back to him. And they said, no, we're not open to ideas. He's like, great. Check that one off. Now I finally know because these damn people were so hard to get a hold of. Um, all right. Uh I'm not going to read your whole name, just Dolphins is your name, because <laughs> if you guys want to look at the chat, you can see what his full name here is, which is funny. Um, I'm just going to say it. Dolphins are perverts. That's what you wrote here. <laughs> okay. I don't know that for a fact. I don't swim with dolphins on a regular basis, but 
Um, if you're an expert at that, I'm assuming you have some experience there. Uh, hi, Andrew. I came up with a great electronic toy idea, but I'm not too sure how electronic toys are internally programmed. Um, do I need to know all the electronics? No, you don't. So you might have this complex product and, you know, maybe there's five different companies selling something kind of like it. it's electronic game, let's say. OK. Um, and you don't understand how the board is programmed and all that works. But, you know, by looking at these five other products or maybe more that these products tend to go for th about under just under 40 bucks. OK, or something like that. I'm just this is a fictitious scenario. So what do you know? Well, these products are kind of similar to mine and they're all being made for under 40 bucks. And this one has this features and this one has that feature. So I know it could be done and it could be done for that price, right? And let's say your improvement is the buttons. Let's say it's a little, let's say it's for little kids and it's a little um, gaming device, not something expensive like a, like a Xbox or something, but a little gaming device like my daughter used to have when she was younger. And it's got buttons on it. Your improvement is this unique um, way you've done the buttons. Do you need to know everything about the electronics and how that works? No, you don't. So I think it's a real um, problem when an inventor feels like they need to know everything about this product they've invented when it's obvious that a bunch of other people have already done it, other companies are doing it. So you can just tell the company that and then going, here's my change. So they're looking over there going, well, they did it. So I know we can do it. And oh, here's my change. Now, if you're approaching companies, let's say it's an electronic product and you're, that don't do any electronics. Well, first of all, you're making a mistake there. You don't approach a company that you see no electronic products in their product line and approach them with an electronic product. But if they are in electronics, that observation is going to be helpful for them. So you can literally tell them about those other products and then tell them about your change. And let's say you're, it's not the buttons on it. Let's say it's the features. Go, well, that they have this and this and this feature. I see no reason why we couldn't reprogram it to do this and this and this, you know? And it's around that type of product, you know, around that price point with around that sort of features. And that's okay. Go fishing, you know. Oh, geez, I said go fishing, and your you, you, your username is dolphins are perverts. So um, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> hey, it's Halloween. We can be a little silly, right? Um, okay, so thank you, dolphins. Um, let's see, what uh, lost my place here. Uh, Melvin said, "Hey, Andrew, maybe a silly question, but if you have a new way of making an existing product, let's say a skateboard." using new material, is the licensing process still the same? Okay. Okay. So um, does that, or might there be some problems there? So let's just use your example, Melvin. If it's a new skateboard and instead of making it out of wood, I think skateboards are, don't correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but it's pieces of wood that are laminated together, right? That's what I think most skateboards are made out of these days. I might be wrong on that. Um, and you're saying, I want to make it out of this certain kind of plastic, okay? Um, well, again, yet again, I would look historically what have people have done. What you're doing there might be a little bit more difficult because they're like, well, we don't know if our machines can do that. Or let's say they make skateboards. They're like, we, we deal with wood and we laminate these together. We have no idea how that would be done. You know, um, then you might say, well, there's this and this done in the past and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, you might need to get new machinery. And they're like, well, you know, it might be $50,000 for this machine that we research. Maybe they're willing to do that. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they're willing to do more research into it. Maybe they aren't. But you can sell the benefit of the product. So when you're doing something, when they're not using the same manufacturing techniques that they currently are, is that a problem? Yeah, it's a problem. Are some of them going to be okay with it? Yeah. Are others not? Uh, this is too much to take on. You know, some might say. And others might say, well, this is very intriguing. Oh, we can make a skateboard twice as break proof or whatever, twice, twice as strong. Is that what you're saying here? By making it out of ABS plastic? Like, I'm not saying this is a good idea, guys. But um, so they might be intrigued. And it's, you'd be surprised how many of our students we guide to guide the company to do some more R&D and research. And this is the silly example <coughs> that I've always stated over the years. 
This is the wacky inventor territory. I don't think the skateboard thing is, but you want to have done some research. If it's going to be something dramatically what they're, from what they're used to, do some research. Look at what's out there. Don't be lazy, but you don't want to be this inventor. So if you're like, hey, I, I'm an inventor and I've got this robot and it will jump up onto your house and it will shingle your roof. So, you know, men don't need to sweat, you know, in the 110 degree heat. And you don't need to worry about workman's comp, about one of these guys falling off the roof and it'll get done faster and more efficiently. It's like the company's like, that sounds great. How do we do that? I don't know, but it's a good idea. Okay. Uh, are you an expert in robotics? No, I don't know anything about robots. I just think it's a good idea. Okay. That's wacky inventor territory. You can't do that. Okay. But you can stretch it a bit. You can show them other products. You can do some research and you can go fishing and see if there's interested, but don't be the guy that's saying coming up with crazy stuff and you have no background in robotics, but you're telling them you should make a robot that jumps up on your roof and shingles a house. And I just think it's a good idea. And guess what? I've met inventors like that. Don't be that inventor. But don't think that if you don't have it all worked out, that you can't approach companies, that you can't show them a marketing piece, show them the benefit of the product, get them intrigued. And you can do a little bit of research to the best of your ability. So my general answer, and Stephen, our other co-founder, we've said that we've been saying this for a long time. If you're 70% sure it could be done, but you don't have all the details, you only have some, and you have a pretty good idea how your pieces, your new piece is going to be implemented, go for it. But if you're just like, I just have no freaking idea, and you're not willing to go out and do a little bit more research, but that doesn't mean you need to do super in-depth research all the time. Sometimes you do. I've met inventors that, yeah, you're going to need to do this and that, you know. But don't assume that's always the case. I can't give a specific answer without knowing the specific product. We're in a public forum here. I can't, you can't publicly disclose your product to me. And then I'm talking about it online with everybody listening in. We can't do that, of course. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Omar said, thank you, Melvin. Great question. All these are great questions. Uh, hi, Andrew. I have a question, please. Is it possible to license idea for a service? or for some idea for a phone app or website providing some kind of service or help or licensing should be a, a physical product. No, you can license a service. You could license know-how. You could license a phone app. You can license all these things. But I'm going to tell you that a physical product is easier. So I'm going to get to the core of what license, the benefit of licensing and what makes the most sense to license. You want to tap into existing money manufacturing and distribution. So if a company's making a dog toy, like Aaron's dog toy here, right? That's what they do, right? And so if you tap into their existing manufacturing and their existing money, and they make dog toys, but don't tell them to, I had a student do this once, don't tell them to make a dog toy and hey, and you've got to, you, you need to monogram each one with the dog's initials or write the dog's initials on there. I had a student once, it wasn't for a, a pet product, it was something else. And I'm like, dude, that's not what they do. Look at them. They sell to freaking Walmart and Target and Home Depot and all these places, these really large retailers. They sell, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of units. And you're going to tell them to start monogramming each one they send out. Think about it, okay? So what I'm saying there is, if you ask them to go through a different distribution channel, not gonna happen. If you ask them to distribute in a different way, not gonna happen. But Andrew, my product's different. Okay, that's fine. But they're not gonna, they're not gonna like ship out 50,000 units and then you're telling them that maybe there's a card in there and they should be able to come back and then get it monogrammed or something. I don't know, you know? That's not good. So don't tell them, oh, you should sell here and here, here. No, the whole point is you found them already in major retailers, and that's why you know that they're good, right? And they're going to do whatever they already do, right? They're, they're not going to suddenly get into bicycle products when they're in pet toys. They're not going to go into dramatically new categories. You know, they're going to do whatever they do, which is a beautiful thing. So they're like a freaking machine. So let's like, I mentioned this before, uh, Kirk, one of our coaches, he licensed to a, um, a company that makes tools. They have over 9,000 products. I think it might be over 10,000 products. 
that company is a machine, right? When you plug your product in that machine, that's a beautiful thing. You know, large companies, they might not be so creative as you. That's what you're bringing to the table. But they're good at the logistics. They're good at not only getting products in stores, but the sales reps constantly bugging the buyers or calling on the buyers, probably bugging is the wrong term, and, and keeping it in the stores, giving them a discount here or there. It's a machine. So you want to tap in that machine. So where I'm going with that is when people go, I got a new business idea. It's like you're not going to do a new Facebook with licensing, okay? Sometimes I think somebody should do a new Facebook. We should all ditch. I, I've been meaning to ditch Facebook. I probably will any day now because I think it's ridiculous. But um, that's my personal opinion, not the opinion of the company. But um, so you're not going to start a whole new business. That's not what licensing is for. It's possible, but really not. So if a company is selling an online service and then your new service would be a nice addition to that, okay, all right. But if you're like, hey, you need to start this whole another business over here, that's not really ripe for licensing, okay? It's like you want, because the whole point of licensing is not, well, I need a business partner. That's not, you want to tap into a company that's already got the distribution, the manufacturing, and the money, not start a fresh new business. This isn't Shark Tank, okay? And Shark Tank is a lot less sexy than what we do with licensing. Because what they're doing is let's raise some money, Let's start a one product company, God forbid, and then let's try to get into retailers. Retailers could care less you were on Shark Tank two months ago. Everybody's forgotten about it. And now you're still a one skew, one product company, as opposed to licensing to a company that already has 15 products in Bed Bath & Beyond. So when they call on the buyer, that buyer's paying attention to them, but they're not going to pay attention to you with your one skew, one product company. So, um, so it doesn't have to be physical. Um, it could be a service, um, but it should work with the company's existing products. It's like a nice addition or extension to their existing products. With apps, people really, you know, apps are very, very difficult to do. The phone apps, you know, uh, everybody and their grandmother, especially grandmothers and grandpas, they're a lot on the tablets. When you go to an airport, you see all these grandpas and grandmas on a tablet, you know, and so everybody thinks they have an app idea, right? But they have no freaking idea of how involved it is to create an app. And the, the, the software geeks look at you and go, well, that's great guy, but that's gonna take six guys in a room a year to program. You don't know what backend database and stuff. So my answer with the phone apps is, if you're a professional software developer, you're either the developer yourself or you've been in the software business for a long time, you can do an app just like anybody does another product. But if you don't, I would recommend against it because the software geeks, they want to see a prototype. They want to see something more, which can be extremely costly. And it's really hard to license an app, especially to the big guys. There are plenty of small app companies you can license to, but they don't really like idea people. And that's it's very hard. It's very hard. So it but if you're a professional software developer, I'd say, hey, that's just like, you know, somebody else licensing a kitchen gadget or a dog toy or anything else, because you got the background, you can speak their language and they'll respect you. But they don't really respect inventors. You know, and I got this idea, because there's so much work to me involved. It's not just an injection mold. There's more work, there's a lot of work to implement it. And the average inventor doesn't know the difference between an app that could be programmed in a week and one that would take a year to program. You know, and now you're not speaking their language and all that. So if, if an inventor came to me, a new student came to me and they said, I've got a dog toy, I got a kitchen gadget, I got a gardening product, and I got a phone app. I'd say do any one of those besides the phone app. <clears throat> you know. Now, even if they said I've got a background in software, I go, well, why don't you wet your feet with understanding the licensing process, one of these others, and then yeah, you can do the phone app if they have a background in software. But if you don't, just having app ideas, um, which is a weird thing to say because we're all about you don't need as much as you think you do. You can make a sell sheet, you can prevent the, present the product, show them how they're going to market it, and you can our students license stuff all the time that way. But I'm not going to apply that to, to phone apps. You need a lot more to show them, and they're a lot more resistant to licensing, much harder to license a phone app, okay? There are a lot of people out there that will claim we'll make an app for you and stuff, and, and you go down a rabbit hole, and I've seen people spend easily $100,000 doing that and not get anywhere. It's, 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 a, it's a serious rabbit hole, guys. Um, 
Uh, Mike said, you have a licensing attorney that can review your student's licensing contracts for $350. So when, yeah, so what, when we, what we do is our students, we don't send them to a licensing attorney when they get interest. Because if every time we sent one of our students to a licensing attorney, they would kill 80% of the deals that our negotiation coach helps our students close because they're gonna start nitpicking the deal to death to get more billable hours, pick, 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 piss the company off, kill the deal, and they still send you a bill. You know, for an entire cost of what we charge for six months of coaching um, and to completely get you up and running and empowered with the whole approach, on one deal, you could spend that with a licensing attorney. So, but when our students sign up, we say, you know, don't call a licensing attorney, call Paul. Paul will help you guide you through the process, the, the back and forth via email and phone, then the contract as well. When a deal is 95% done, they don't all get there. You know you won't have mucked it up because Paul will have helped you in a friendly way go back and forth with the company. The earlier steps before you get to a contract, my God, licensing attorneys have no freaking clue how to do that. They're going to guide you to talk to the company about um, manufacturing issues or the costing. or they, I mean, that's not what licensing attorneys do. So Paul will guide you through the licensing portion, the uh, contract portion of it as well. He'll usually have our, the student ask the company for theirs. He'll bloody it behind the scenes, tell the student what to go back with, and them and their attorney change. It goes back and forth, back and forth. Doesn't, there's no risk to the inventor because they're not signing anything. So there's no risk in going back and forth and negotiating this. So um, now when a deal gets to 95% done, Paul's going to tell our student, look, this deal's done. We've told them what to change. They've agreed to it, not agreed to some of it. We got them and their attorney to make all the changes. This is great. It's not that, it, you, yeah, you're saving money because you don't have to pay an attorney. But more importantly, it's a better deal flow. It's a better deal flow than you presenting a contract, your attorney trying to fight for you, and then just them, the two attorneys butting heads. We don't, we don't have our students inter, let an attorney interface with a potential licensee. Now, when a deal is 95% done, Paul will say, look, we're not attorneys. This is stuff full of all the important clauses here. You need an attorney for an hour or two to dot the I's and cross the T's. And we know a couple attorneys that they know Paul and InventRight is so good at this, that there's not much for them to look at. So, but most attorneys, they want to get three or four grand out of you. They don't want 350 bucks to go over a final contract, but we know two cool attorneys that will do it for our students. It's only for our students because otherwise there's just a mess. We, Paul's helped work, he's cleaned up all the mess. And they're just in there going, change this one sentence conflicts with this one. We need to change that, just change this word on this one, that kind of stuff. Um, but we never want our students to sign an agreement without a licensing attorney going over it. So even though I'm beating up licensing attorneys, they're they're great for reviewing the final contract. You just don't utilize them to fight for you. Instead, you you have a friendly negotiation between yourself and the company. Okay, and sometimes their attorney is obviously going to be involved, and you're not signing anything, so there's really no risk. Okay there and if you can't agree on certain major deal points why would you go blow all that money with an attorney you know and i've also had i had this one student the deal was done paul's like this deal's great this is done and he wanted to use his uh, uh attorney and it was a licensing attorney thing and he came back the attorney came back and he's like you need to change this this and this and there's these three major things missing well those things that he said were major i agreed on the small things those are things that were major i'm like paul and i were like looking at each other going we've never seen any of those things be a problem are you freaking kidding me are you kidding me and he was just trying to build value which is a lot of bs this deal's done those things are completely unimportant i've never seen in 23 years any of those things ever be a problem i told him he's like oh thank you but i said you know those little the wording changes you want to do that was great that's what licensing attorneys are there for now so so that's um that's some background on that. Thank you, Mike, for the question there. Um, yeah, so dolphins, I answered your question. Uh, Stillwater eight. Hey Andrew, I have a non-provisional patent pending on a medical device. Great. Yeah, you, patents are more important for medical devices. Um, should I contact companies now or wait for an issued patent? Okay. No, contact them now. Now. 
we had a student of ours do a deal, which is going to end up being a multi-million dollar deal for a medical device. It was actually not a complicated medical device. Um, but medical device companies, those deals are big and they do really, um, patents are a lot more important to them. Um, but I would not wait one to three years. I don't know how long it is since you filed your non-provisional, but for it to issue and then go to them. And guess what? Even if you had an issued patent, I would always file another provisional with the medical guys because they always really feel like patents are very important. Then I would say patented. Let's say it's an issue. Let's say you had an issue patent, which you don't, but let's say you did. And I would say patented and I'd spend 75 bucks. I wouldn't throw a bunch of money at your attorney again. And I would follow another provisional. Let's say patented and patent pending. Isn't it? So you just like, whoa, this guy's professional, right? So I would not wait for the patent issue. There's no reason. You know, and and uh, see if they're interested. Any company that wants to wait for a patent issue is not really an open innovation company. That's pretty ridiculous. But let's say they, they made a big deal about it. We could guide you to guide them and you could give them confidence. Well, we're getting my attorney thinks we're going to get these claims and these claims and blah, blah, blah. Um, I would not wait. That's ridiculous to wait for a patent issue. Maybe the product's not going to make sense two years from now when the patent office finally gets back to you. It doesn't usually take that long these days. Back in the day, it was normal. Sometimes it takes three years for the patent office to get back for a patent to be granted. That's not normal these days. It happens a lot quicker. Um, I don't know the exact timelines, but um, it, it can easily be a year or two, um, easily. Um, so no, I would not wait. I would start move forward with licensing, but realize they will beat you up more about patents, those medical device companies, but they're usually pretty big deals. So, um, and, and even though I, even in medical devices is to spend that money, not knowing if there's any interest is a risk, but if you were going to spend it to file a full non-provisional, not a provisional and spend the money, I would say it's more likely that you'll need it with a medical product than let's say a kitchen gadget. Okay, so it might have some value there. And it, what, you know, what I'm saying is, I don't believe it's a total mistake with a medical product to file a full utility patent, but it's, it's, there's still really no reason you can file a provisional and move forward. Um, okay, uh, we see on Ho. Hi, Andrew from Singapore. We have a character IP started at webcomic. 300,000 fam base. Oh, cool. A character intellectual pro. Okay. Has an animation series now. Season two released in 2013. Well, that's fun. Um, we figured out how licensing and merchandising. We figured out licensing and merchandising now. How can you help? Okay. So I, let's talk about what kind of licensing that we song. Sorry if I'm pronouncing it right. I'll do my best. We song. Um, is saying they have a series, they have an animated series. And what they could do, if it's well known, they could do brand licensing, which is kind of the opposite. So I'll give you an example. So for Disney, they don't make much of anything. Um, you know, they license the rights for people to put Mickey Mouse and all these many, many Disney characters on products, and then they get a very high royalty for that. So um, that's what the licensing expo, everybody goes to licensing expo in, in Las Vegas. They're like, I'm going to go to licensing expo, Andrew. I'm like, mm, are you sure? What are you doing? And they show me, and I'm like, why are you going to licensing expo? That's a brand licensing expo. So at the at the licensing expo, what that is, is there's brands there like Disney and the NFL and NHL and all these different brands that are well-known. I don't know how well-known Song's brand is, but he could go to the licensing expo. He doesn't need to go to the trade show to do this, but he go to the licensing expo. And guess who the people are walking around? The people walking around are people making products, companies making products, and they want their product to be a little more recognized. So if you slap Mickey Mouse on it, that more people will buy it. So the company needs to pay a royalty to Disney to put Mickey Mouse on their product or the NFL or whatever on their product, right? So one of the types of licensing that we saw could do is he could do brand licensing. Hey, we're in the second season. It's going to be released in 2023. He could reach out to companies that want to make products and put his characters on, on their products. Um, you know, it, it, it's more common with very recognizable products. 
Um, now, another thing he could do is he could license the whole series. You're kind of getting a little bit more into Hollywood there, but he could license the whole series to somebody else too, right? He could do that as well. So um, we song, I, I, if you want a book with us, um, you can email me at Andrew and InventRight. It probably wouldn't be Dana or Sylvia you talk to for that. You'd probably talk to me. If you say, I, I want to see if you guys could help me with brand licensing, if that's what you're interested in, that might, that might be something we could help you out with and make like a special program for you. But companies don't really want a brand license if they're going to license it and then the product just sits on the shelf because it doesn't have the proper distribution, right? Because if your series isn't that well known and then they got to sell it on clearance and they lose money, there's a big difference between maybe your series and Disney, right? Um, but there might be right places to sell that merchandise that your viewers are taking a look at things, you know, and, and, um, so that might be a possibility, but, um, I don't know how big your series is. So, uh, but some of the web, I mean, what did I see? Oh, I was watching a YouTube video with Keanu Reeves and he came out with this, uh, comic book. I forget what it was called. I'm sorry, guys, but if you type in Keanu Reeves comic book, you'll probably find it. And it sold insane volume. It was like one of the top two or three sellers. We song probably knows more than I do about this. And I'm like, dude, this guy's like a movie star. He came with a comic book and his comic book's like one of the top sellers right now. It's craziness. So there's a lot of opportunity for merchandising in that area and a lot of fans that just love buying that stuff. So, um, but so we song, if you want to talk about that, email Andrew and invent, right? Saying I'm doing brand licensing. Andrew said, I could reach out and talk to him to see if there's something you could do to help me because that's kind of unique and different. Um, and then this is also a good education for everybody, a little bit about brand licensing. Um, Monkey Man said, with cooperative patent classification, CPC, if an idea is part mechanically engineered for casing purposes of electronic circuit boards, what section would be classified? Citations required. I have no idea, Monkey Man. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. That's getting too technical for me. Um, I would need to take a look at what you're doing. Um, I don't even really fully understand the question. So I'm sorry, I can't answer that one. Um, I think I'd need more info. And even then, maybe I wouldn't be the guy. Maybe a patent attorney would be the person to answer your question. Um, Melvin said, thank you, Andrew. You answered my question perfectly. Wow, perfectly. Um, OK, that's incredible. Uh, Okay, T. Rowe said, uh, any pointers for attending trade shows being that we will be face-to-face -face with potential licensees versus email or phone? Yeah, I mean, I've given a lot of pointers on here. You could go to a trade show and not show your product to anybody and you'd be perfectly fine. So when you go to a trade show, when you're walking around, let's talk about how it's different than the licensing expert. When you're walking around most trade shows, those are the manufacturers of products. So let's say, well, let's say it's a pet toy, okay? So you're walking around SuperZoo. Who are all the manufacturers? Is a company selling pet toys? Is a company selling pet food? Is a company selling dog bowls and other things like that? Okay, so those are the people with the booths. Who are the people walking around? Most of the people walking around are supposed to be, um, but then we're, we sneak in there as us inventors, right? They're supposed to be um, retailers, and they're walking around looking for new products for their store, right? Um, so when you go to the show, you can literally just ask, you know, anybody, any booth where you're like, oh, my product, we a right match or this company. You ask them if they're open to licensing products from independent inventors or product developers. And then you ask, who would that be? And they might say, you know, I don't know. And then they ask somebody else in the booth. They're like, oh, that's Bob. Well, he's out right now. He, he's walking around, but here's his card. Okay. So the key thing you want to do is get their card. Okay. You giving them their card, that's just being courteous. I don't care about that. If, if you want to be courteous, but if you giving people cards, complete and utter waste of time. If you want to do that to be courteous, okay, you're getting their card. Then you're going to follow up with them. Are you going to follow up with them two days later? No, because they're trying to sell at the trade show. They're busy talking to buyers at retailers after that. So you want to wait a couple weeks, right? But so you could not show your product at all and you will have done a kick-ass job. Okay. Now, if you want to take it to the next level a little bit, which I don't think is next level and it's inappropriate sometimes, you could have something on your phone and you could um, you could 
hold it up and go, hey, you know, check out this product and you could show it to them. They're like, oh, that's fascinating. Hey, Bob, come over here. And they go, so that might be appropriate. You got to be careful about public disclosure or trade show. Probably nobody's going to see something on your phone or your tablet. But if you pull out your product and you're showing it around, now you're starting to make public disclosure. And also, you need to realize that they're there to sell to the buyers, the retailers walking around. So if you're taking up their time, that might be very unprofessional. Now, you have to kind of gauge it. But if you just said, I don't know how to gauge that yet, Andrew, I'm just going to walk around, get their cards. And if they say they're open or not, then I'm going to be good. I'm going to follow up with them. And then I'm going to send them a sell sheet. You got their card, figured out who the right person is, and you can send it to them. So that's the way you'd work a trade show. Okay. Um, but so don't think you need to bring your product. Don't think that you need, you need to show it on your phone. You can just get their card. Who is the right person? Okay. And you can talk to them a little bit about it. I mean, it's a super zoo show. I talked to a couple guys. You know, we have our own R&D department. We're just kind of sketched out about it as some inventor comes up with something that we're coming up with. And I got a few of those. Um, but I got plenty of them. They're like, yeah, no, that's so-and-so. That's Bob over here. That's Sally over here. You know, maybe I met him. Maybe they just gave me the card. And you're good. Um, but don't think you need to go to a trade show. So you could have, you could be like, I love this industry. I know I'm going to bet in this industry. I know I'm going to keep inventing this industry. Not even have a product in particular in mind and walk a trade show and benefit huge and have all the cards. I, I got a stack of cards from SuperZoo, actually. It was right here. I got a stack. I got a couple. It's right here, actually, from SuperZoo. I got a couple stacks of cards right here. Um, there's, a, there's a receipt there, too. Um, so um, you, can, you guys can totally do it. Um, now, go to a trade show. You got to pay for the flight. You got to pay for the hotel. You got to pay for food. Now, what some people will do is if it's in Vegas, which a lot of them are, most of them are in Vegas and then some are in Chicago and then a few, not many, maybe Florida and L.A., but I would say 85 to 90 percent of shows are in Chicago and Las Vegas. And you might say, well, you know, I'll take the family to Las Vegas for a family trip. OK. And then, you know, you let them know that for a day or two of that. During the day, you're going to be at the trade show and the rest of the family is fun. That would be a way to reduce costs and make it a family trip. Um, uh, there's beautiful things to see in Chicago, too. It's too damn cold for me. Um, <laughs> I, li I live here in Henderson, Nevada, which is right next to Vegas. So I just drive down the street. Not everybody could, has that. Um, well, it's not down the street because I don't live near the strip because I don't know why anybody want to live near the strip because that's just a lot of weirdness down there but and by the way there's a, there's a whole city like i live in henderson it's a beautiful city my daughter goes to a great school um it's kind of like saying you know oh you live in los angeles you live in anaheim so do you see mickey mouse every day it's like uh, no yeah i live in anaheim but i don't go over there and visit mickey mouse and same thing for me i live in las vegas I don't go to the strip. I mean, people get into fist fights there, doing whatever weirdness and stuff. And it's great, you know, the best restaurants literally in the world, in anywhere in the world, um, if you want to pay through the nose, which is not my thing, except for maybe for an anniversary with my wife. So that's the only time I really go down there. I'm sick to death of the Cirque du Soleil shows. They're freaking amazing. But I've seen most of all of them, and I'm like, I don't need to see another one. But some of you haven't been here. and So like, before I moved here, um, my wife and I, we spent too many days. We got a package deal and we spent five or six days at the Luxor on the Strip. And when we were looking to move here, we're like, Vegas, we don't want to go to Vegas because we remember it as the Strip. But there's this whole city, Vegas and Henderson, that is far removed from the Strip and a whole different ballgame. So, um, so if you don't like Vegas, um, the Strip, you might actually like Vegas um because it's it's a whole different deal um because i'm not i don't gamble i don't drink um i don't i don't need to see shows every other day you know um and uh but it but it could be a lot of fun if you do the right things but the strip can wear you down you could feel kind of scammed and um they're just trying to bleed every cent out of you which i think is what disneyland's trying to do do now too a lot of people are complaining about that and I, but hey, whatever. It lets me live in the middle of the desert here. You guys all come here, lose all your money, and then go back. And, well, I'm not doing that again. And then you come right back two years later. <laughs> so, but, but um, I like it better than Silicon Valley where I grew up. I'd never go back there. That's just a. I don't. Don't even, don't even get me started. Um, but anyway. Uh, okay, guys, I gotta get going. It's 5:05. I got another meeting. I gotta jump off on. Um, 
I want to remind you guys to take care, keep inventing. Check out inventright.com, our free resources on there. And if you need help and you need coaching, you need mentoring, click on the contact us page. You might be like, I'm not ready to sign up yet. I don't even know if I want to sign up. But talk with Dana and Sylvia. They're super friendly. They won't hound you, like call you. Don't you want to be rich? How come you didn't sign up? Like we won't do crap like that. So feel free to talk to them about the programs. Check out our services page. Um, I think it's very amazing what we do, but it's also a little, wow, people always say like, I'm kind of amazed at everything you guys did. I mean, kind of knew you guys give advice, but I didn't know that when I sign up, especially with the premium program that I get all this. So make sure to check out the website and talk to us and take advantage of the free resources. If you're on the web, it's in the upper right-hand corner on, on a computer. On the phone, it's kind of different. I need to see what it looks like on my phone. But they're there, and there's a ton of free resources. So take care. Keep inventing, everybody, and we'll catch up with you next time. Bye.